I want you to know that no other service got that, okay? <laughs> that was special just for you. Thank you to the orchestra. And if you're here and confused, uh, we are beginning a new series today called God at the Movies. Uh, excited to share that with you. Uh, if we have not met, my name is David and I serve as a senior pastor here and uh, thrilled to be with you today. Before we say a word about uh, this new series and the film we're going to be looking at today, I want to say a word about the series we finished up last week. Many of you were here for that or you were here over the last four weeks uh, for the series that Pastor Mike uh, shared with you, Confessions of a Pastor. Uh, most of you probably know uh, that Mike, uh, in just a few short weeks, will begin his new role as a district superintendent uh, in our annual conference area. He'll be overseeing about 60 United Methodist churches, uh, sharing with them the wisdom and insight that he has blessed us with uh, for the last 21 years. Uh, he shared that final series last week, and after the first week, someone said to me, I would love to have a DVD of, these, of this series. And I said, that is a great idea. So we have uh, for you today, Confessions of a Pastor, this DVD. Uh, it's available for you if you'd like to purchase one of these. So we're selling them for 20 bucks, and the proceeds from this series benefit the Next Generation Leadership Fund. Uh, that was a fund that we established in Mike's honor two years ago, uh, in honor of the beginning of his 20th year of ministry here. It supports uh, men and women who are pursuing their own call uh, to full-time ministry. And so if you'd like to have, uh, a, a have that series and also participate uh, in that fund that, that honors Mike and blesses Next Generation Leaders, I want to encourage you to pick that up uh, at the back. And you already heard about the 25th and the 26th. A great day of celebration that we're going to have uh, for Mike and Rhonda. I uh, know you'll want to be a part of that. Hope you're, uh, have, uh, may, many of you have already prepared notes for them uh, or are going to be writing one. I appreciate you doing that. I know it'll be a blessing uh, to them. I'm going to ask for a little bit of extra grace today. You look like very nice people, so I feel okay asking this. I need a little bit extra grace because while Mike has been sharing with you for the last four weeks, I've just been sitting around doing nothing. I mean, I, have, I, I haven't done this in a while, and so I don't even know if I can still do it. I, I, in 15 years, I cannot think of a time where I had four weeks off from preaching. I've just been wandering the halls, wondering what to do with myself. So I hope that I can still do this. The, the other reason I'm going to ask for a little bit extra grace is because a few weeks ago, my 12-year-old daughter got braces. Really the highlight of any preteen in their life, right? To get, to get braces. And because she was so brave, I decided to do what my dentist had been telling me to do for many years. And on Thursday, I joined her in that journey. Oh, no one else has done that. But yeah, oh, yeah. I got the clear kind that you can pop out so that I can speak normal to you on the weekends. But it's brand new and my mouth's mad at me, Okay. So far, I haven't spit on anyone. That was one of the warnings uh, that they shared with me before I left, and there's a pretty good barrier here, so we should be safe, uh, but I just ask for a little bit of extra grace. If you have your Bible, oh, would you please turn to Revelation chapter 21. Uh, if you did not bring a Bible today, uh, this blue Bible that is in the seat pocket in front of you, you can grab that. You will find Revelation 21 on page 1937. Uh, if you are new here today and you don't have a Bible, we have these brown Bibles uh, at the connecting point. We would love to give you one of those as our gift as you begin your journey in the scriptures. Uh, but we're going to be in Re Revelation 21 uh, today. And I know already some of you are thinking, oh no. We're reading from that book. 
Oh no, that's the one that's really weird. That's the one that you've gotten to love a few chapters in. You've thought, I have no idea what this is about. This is really strange. There are beasts and numbers and symbols and everything's a little confusing. This may be one of those books that you're just kind of afraid to open because you have no idea what it means. It's okay. I will be with you the whole time. No one here will be left behind. Okay? <laughs> yeah? That's funny, huh? Yeah. Some of you will get that on the way home. We're going to be okay, all right? We're going to go through this. Here is my ambitious goal for my first sermon in a month. My ambitious goal is I want you to walk out of here today with a clear understanding of this really, really confusing book. Uh, I know it's weird. We're going to talk about that. I want you to have a clear understanding of what this book is all about. And we're going to do that in connection with this first message of this series, God at the Movies, where we are looking at the film that was released last December uh, called Star Wars The Force Awakens. Did anyone here see that movie? Anybody? I'm guessing some of you did. I'll tell you why I, I feel confident in that guess. Uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens was the fastest film to gross $1 billion in the history of film. In its opening weekend, set a new box office record, $529 million. It took 20 days 20 days to break the record uh, in U.S. And, and U.S. and Canada release for the highest grossing film. And just to wrap up these records, The Force Awakens holds the record for the most number of records, okay? So it did fairly well, all right? But that being said, how many people here today have never seen any of the seven Star Wars films? Now, here's why I wanted to ask that question, because some of you didn't know that these people existed, right? <laughs> You're shocked. You're, you, you cannot imagine a world where people have not seen Star Wars. These people have been holding out for 39 years. They have no interest in the film, but some of us, we have a lot of interest in the film. In fact, this morning, Barbara Berry brought this to me. This is a program that she got in 1977 when she went to see the original film. I was going to pass this around, but I don't think I would get it back. And, and Barbara really wants it back. So I'm going to take very good care of that. So for some of us, this is, this is a huge, huge part of our life. We're, we're big fans. But for those who've never seen anything, let me just give you a couple of the major themes of the entire series. I'm not going to spoil anything for you if you haven't seen uh, the new movie, but, but a couple of the major themes that run throughout the series. So Star Wars is about the battle between the dark side and the good guys, the, the Jedi, the forces of light, they are often referred to. In the original series, episode four, if you've never seen it, I know that's really confusing, that's where we start at four, not one, but in the original, uh, the forces of light, the forces of good, the Jedi, is represented by the very young and innocent uh, looking Luke Skywalker. 
who is uh, a Jedi and doesn't quite even know that he is destined to be that. The dark side is represented by the character that even if you haven't seen the film, you've probably seen his likeness, Darth Vader, uh, who is also blessed with the very sinister voice and deep voice of James Earl Jones, uh, one of the best casting decisions in the history of Star Wars for sure. Uh, and it, it, it is this battle between the good and, and the bad, the light and the dark, which is, by the way, why we've sung so many songs about the light. Very good, Scott. He went with the theme there. That was, that was awesome. So it's this battle between the forces of good and the forces of evil. And, and if you haven't seen the new film, here's what I can tell you that won't spoil anything. It's the same story told again. Now, there's some new characters and there's some cameo appearances by some old characters. There's some different names. The Rebellion is now called the Resistance. The Empire, the Bad Guys, is now called, now called the First Order. But it's the same story. And it made over $2 billion for the exact same story. This battle, this cosmic struggle between the forces of good, the forces of evil, and the force, this energy that flows through both sides of the struggle uh, that they can use as a weapon against the other. So kind of set that aside for a moment. Just hold that thought. Let's look at Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, and see if we can make any connection between the galaxy and what we find here in the scriptures. Here's what it says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Verse 2, I saw the holy city. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. There you go. Everybody survived a reading from Revelation. You're all still with me. That's, that's great. Let me, let me tell you a few things about this book that will help you in understanding what the point is, what the central theme is of Revelation. Revelation was written by a guy named John. Uh, John is a name that should be familiar to you. He wrote a few other books that we find in the New Testament. He wrote the Gospel of Very good. Smart people here today. The Gospel of John, he wrote first Second, third, fourth, oh good, there is no fourth John. Y'all are so much better, ninth, third day, was like, John, they, were, they didn't get that. Okay, there's no fourth John. Uh, these, by the way, were not his titles, okay, they were given uh, at later date, okay, but the Gospel of John, the letters of John, those were the earlier writings of John, that's important. That's important because understanding when Revelation was written within the life of John helps us place it within 
the history of the first century. Now, this is just a couple of history. This is just a little bit of history here. I promise it won't hurt too much. But if you look on the back of your bulletin, there's three dates I want you to know. Three events in the first century uh, that are major events. This is a great, a gross oversimplification of the first century. But again, it'll help you understand what this book is about. So the first one is 30 AD. And 30 AD was the birth of the church. The church was born following the resurrection of Jesus, and in Acts chapter 1, we read about the ascension of Jesus, Jesus returning to the Father. Acts chapter 2 tells us the story of Pentecost. Pentecost was the birthday of the church. It was when the Spirit was given to the disciples. In Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up, he preaches in Jerusalem, thousands come to the faith, and the church begins in Acts chapter 2. Now, when the church was born in 30 AD, there were three communities that played a major role in the shaping of the Christian faith in those first few decades. The first was obviously the Christian community. The second one was the Jewish community. And the third one was the Roman community. And here's what you need to know about those first few decades after the birth of church. Uh, in, in those first few decades, there was a lot of struggle and tension between the Christian community and the Jewish community. You read that in the book of Acts, the letters of Paul. You find that all throughout those writings. There's this tension between the Christian community and the Jewish community. Is the Christian community just a different kind of Jewish community? How do they relate to one another? That tension exists. Do you have to become a Jew first before you can become a Christian? You'll find that tension in the early decades of the church. There was also at that time tension between the Jewish community and the Roman community. In fact, if you go back to the Gospels to the very end when Jesus was arrested, he was tried before the Jewish leadership, then he was presented before the Roman leadership, and he was presented towards, to the Roman leadership as a rebel against Rome. The Romans and the Jews, there was this tension between the two, and so there was this fear of an outbreak of rebellion in Israel. And that's actually the charge that was brought before Pilate that actually led to him uh, uh, announcing that Jesus would be crucified. So there's lots of tension between those two communities. But here's what you need to know. Between the Christian community and the Roman community, the leadership in Israel as well as the, the entire Roman Empire, there was almost no tension and no struggle between the Christians and the Romans. Because the Christian community wasn't very big. It was, it was so small, it had so little influence that Rome paid very little attention to the Christian community in those first few decades of its existence. So fast forward to 64 AD. 64 AD was the great fire of Rome. Uh, Rome burned for six days before they were able to bring the fire under control. And while later historians would speculate that Nero, the emperor of Rome, actually started the fire, in the immediate aftermath of the fire, Nero blamed a particular community for starting the fire. Do you know who it was? It was the Christians. Well, that raises a pretty interesting question. What happened between 30 AD and 64 AD. Well, there was this guy named Paul, and there were a few other people who traveled with him, and what Paul and the early apostles did is they took the message of Jesus, crucified and resurrected, from Jerusalem, and they spread it all throughout the Roman Empire. 
To the point that it landed on the doorstep of the Roman emperor who took notice of it. And by 64 AD, he saw this movement as a threat to Rome. An empire that claimed Caesar is Lord decided that it was a major threat to have this movement among them that was gaining such incredible momentum that was saying Jesus is Lord. And so 64 AD, Nero blames the Christians and the first outbreak of persecution against the Christians began. 70 AD, many of you know this date, the Romans conquered Jerusalem and destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. This was after about five years of rebellion by the Jewish zealots in Israel, fighting for their freedom against their Roman oppressors. Eventually, the Roman army swept through. The Roman army conquered Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. If you go to Jerusalem today, many of you have been there and you have seen this, you can see the first century streets of Jerusalem, and you will see these large rocks that were hurled off the top of the Temple Mount when the soldiers, Roman soldiers, came in and destroyed the temple. The temple has never been rebuilt from from 70 AD. The, The Romans would eventually push the Jews all the way south to Masada. Some of you have been to Masada, the last place that the Jews held out. That was the end of the rebellion. So we have the Romans sweeping through the Holy Land. We have this great tension between the Romans and the Christians, this outbreak of persecution, Nero uh, killing Christians, burning Christians at the stake. Here's what you need to know about Revelation. It was written after that. Most scholars believe Revelation was written around 95 AD. So if we go with that date, we're about three decades in to major, major persecution of Christians at the hands of the Romans. And then we come to Revelation, this writing that that, that John put together. Now, here's a question. Why is it so weird? Why why is there all uh, these animals and these numbers and these symbols and all this stuff that when you read it, you think, well, this is really confusing. Well, here's why. A couple things about prophecy. Revelation is a work of prophecy. There's two things you need to understand about prophecy in the Bible. First is, prophecy in the Bible is not about predicting the future. That's really important. It's not about predicting the future. Rather, what the prophets do is this. The prophets say... For those people who are heading in a particular direction, this is what awaits you. So when you go back to Isaiah, and you read what Isaiah is sharing with the people of Israel, here's what he's saying. He's saying, we have forgotten what it means to be the people of God. There is injustice among us. There are poor among us. We are not living as God has intended us to live. And so if we continue on this path, this is where we're heading. And the work of Isaiah is to say, guys, we got to turn around. We're heading the wrong way. We don't want to end up at this place. It's time for a course correction. It's time to move in a new direction. So here's an example of a word of prophecy. Let's imagine that one of you came to my office and you said, I have found the best diet in the world. It's going to sweep the nation. All I'm eating are Twinkies for the rest of my life. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Twinkies. That's all I'm eating. Well, here's a word of prophecy. You're going to become a diabetic, right? (laughs) 
you don't have to be that smart to figure that out. If you continue in this direction, this is what awaits you. That's what prophecy is in the scriptures. It's a way of revealing where you are heading. And sometimes the way it functions is to say, as we shared with Isaiah, it's to say, we need to turn around. We need to change the way we're living. We need to remember what our life is about. We need to, we need to move in a new direction. But sometimes prophecy functions in this way. Sometimes prophecy functions in a way as if to say, you're heading in a good direction. Don't give up. I know what's on the horizon. I know what you see. I know what you're experiencing right now. I know how difficult life has become. I know the trouble that you find yourself in. I know the fear that you're living with. But don't give up because you're actually heading in the right direction. So why is it weird? Well, prophecy, this work from Revelation, it wasn't intended for you. It was intended for the first century audience who was living in this time of great trouble. If you go to the first few chapters of Revelation, John actually mentions seven churches who are supposed to receive this letter. It is written to a people who are being killed. And and within this subversive message John uses metaphor and innuendo and symbolism to remind them that though they are being oppressed by this mighty empire that is seeking their destruction, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Don't give up. Don't give up. So turn with me real quick to John's gospel. Turn to the Gospel of John. If you're in the Blue Bible, uh, page 1673, the Gospel of John, look at verse uh, chapter 13. I just want to walk you through this real quick. John 13, what you'll find there is Jesus washing the disciples' feet. So this begins uh, the Last Supper. Uh, If you don't know, Jesus washes the disciples' feet in John chapter 13. As you move into John chapter 14... Jesus begins to offer comfort to his disciples because Jesus knows what's coming next. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be condemned. He's going to be crucified. And so he offers them comfort. At the end of chapter 14, Jesus offers them the promise. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. In John 14, Jesus says, you've seen me do great things. You're going to do even greater things because the Holy Spirit is going to be given to you. The Holy Spirit will be with you to remind you of all the things that I have taught you. When you get to chapter 15... You find that beautiful imagery that Jesus uses. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Remain in the vine. And then as you move to, through the second half of chapter 15 and on into chapter 16, Jesus begins to tell the disciples what's coming next. And he doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't say, well, some days may be kind of hard. He says, you're going to have trouble. It's going to be bad. He even goes so far as to say, the world is going to hate you because of me. He's preparing them for what's going to happen in the next few days as they deal with the grief of his loss. He's preparing them for what's going to happen when the church is born. He's preparing them for what's going to happen as the church spreads across the Roman Empire. He shares words that have meaning for you and I today when we find ourselves in trouble. 
find ourselves facing things that we don't know how we're going to get past. Look at the very end of chapter 16, verse 33. Listen to what Jesus says here. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome this world. Here's what the world's going to offer you. The world's going to offer you trouble. I have come to give you peace. And the only peace you're going to find is in me. It's not going to be in the world. The world is going to provide you trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So what's the point of Revelation? Among all the metaphor and symbolism and everything that you find there, it's, it's really quite simple. It's John sharing with the Christian community that in the end, love wins. In the end, love wins. I, I don't know where this quote comes from. Uh, the internet told me it was John Lennon. I don't endorse everything John Lennon said about faith and spirituality, but if he said this, this is pretty good. Everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. Everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. That's the message of Revelation. And it is a message that was meant to challenge Christians who were ready to give up who had lost heart and lost faith, who, who stared in the face of the persecution and oppression that awaited them and said, I don't know, I don't know if I want to continue on this. And it was there as a word of encouragement for those Christians who were, who were willingly going to their death because of the allegiance and loyalty that they had to Jesus Christ. It was John saying, in the end, Love will win. Everything will be okay. If it's not okay, that's because it's not the end. So what in the world does this have to have in connection with galaxies and lightsabers and this, this mythology of film that we love so much? Well, let me, let me give you just a few thoughts. Why is it that Star Wars is so compelling despite those who have never seen any of the movies and that's okay? But here's one of the reasons why. I think in Star Wars, again, in the series, we come face to face with evil. Evil is there right before us. We see it, and it's real, and it's a reminder that in our world, it is real. Evil is real. There is a dark side. There is a force that is working against the forces of light. But it's interesting to me how evil is personified in this series. It's not some great and mighty monster. It's not an alien that is foreign to us. It is instead a human being who in response to their brokenness, they have decided to hide their humanity. And so whether you're talking about the character of Anakin Skywalker, who will eventually become Darth Vader, or Ben, I won't tell you his last name in case you haven't seen the film, who becomes Kylo Ren, the new villain in the series, you know their story. You know these are human beings who in their brokenness have chosen to hide their humanity, and in adopting their new personas, they dress themselves up in a costume if you will and when they are in this this personification of evil when they are wearing these clothes even their voice doesn't quite sound human anymore there's this additional fear and dread 
that they stir in us as we see them. And then, and then there's the good guys. And the good guys are, again, in, in episode four, this young and naive and innocent kid who has no idea what he's getting into. I mean, he's just, he, he, he's bold and audacious and he's ready to do whatever, but he has no idea of what awaits him. He has no idea how large this struggle is that he is getting himself into. And again, it's the same story, $2 billion, but the same story, we meet another young, innocent, naive person who has no idea what kind of struggle she is getting herself into. It's this cosmic, huge battle. And all throughout the series, these young, naive People are going to face odds that seem totally insurmountable. You have a lightsaber. They have a giant planet that blows up other planets. And you can't help but think, oh my gosh, they have no chance in the world. What is going to happen? But, but all throughout the series, whatever film you're watching, you, th th there's always some sort of weakness in the dark side. And and, and you just sort of know, as a member of the audience, that it's going to be okay. I mean, it's a little crazy, but, but you just have the sense, regardless of how insurmountable the odds are presented to you, that darkness will not conquer the light. There's this, there's this new character, and if you've seen the film, Ray, who, who you just saw, there's all sorts of questions about who she is and what's going to happen in the next movie and what are they going to do next. Well, let me, little spoiler alert, okay? The good guys are going to win. <laughs> I don't know how, but they're going to win. Everything's going to be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's because it's not the end. In this world, you're going to have trouble. And some of you are thinking, oh, yeah, I, I, I kind of get that. And some of you are thinking, oh, yeah, I'm in that. I'm in that. Don't give up. Don't give up. The darkness of this world, the evil of this world, the struggle, the pain, the suffering... It doesn't get the win. Revelation, this is really, really important. Revelation is not about the destruction of the world. Don't let anyone tell you that it is. Revelation is about the destruction of those things that are currently destroying the world. It's about creation. You and I and everything that we see, it's about creation that at this part of the story, creation gets broken. And because of that brokenness, creation lives under the bondage of sin and suffering and death. And this part of the book back here, the final word that the Bible speaks to us is about all of those things that are destroying the world being destroyed. It's about the death of death. It's about the end of mourning and suffering, crying, and pain. It is the final word of the Bible that reminds us that in the end, beyond the horizon of what we can see today, in the end, love will win.
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today we pray that you would bless us with hope. Lord, I know that there are those here among us who would love to receive that. And there are those among us, Lord, who are desperate to receive that. And so I pray that by your Spirit and with grace, Lord, you would allow us to hear your voice today. For some of us, Lord, help us to hear the whisper that says, don't give up. Don't lose heart. Don't lose faith. And Lord, allow some of us to hear the words that would say, keep going, you are running a good race. Don't let anything step in the way. Give us, Lord, that faith that sees this future where death dies, where pain is gone, where you in your tender mercy carefully and gracefully wipe away every tear. Remind us, God, that you win in the end. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.